From the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And Adam, today we're going to be talking about a topic that, you know, this general time of year seems to come up, and that's, I'm sure, your favorite beverage, cider. I mean, it's so gross. <laughs> I really, I just can't get it. I feel like that's unpatriotic, that man. Cider is such an American beverage. I hate two things in the fall, cider and pumpkin beer. Excellent. I just... I can't get into you know, and I, maybe I've had the wrong ciders. I'm I, I look. I'm not being completely truthful. I've had a few ciders that I've liked in my day, but most of them are so gross. They're so sweet. They just taste like alcoholic apple juice. Um, you know, people are all obsessed with them, especially people who are gluten free. Not to knock the gluten free people, please don't come at me. If you want, uh, I can give you Zach's email. He'd be more than happy to respond to any of your comments. Uh, that's uh, that's Adam at vinepair.com. Yeah, but uh, you know, seriously, I I just am not the biggest fan of cider. I, I don't, I, you know, I can't get into. it. I'd rather have a really nice Oktoberfest beer this time of year, or uh, you know, I'm starting to get into. Uh, you know, whiskey, things like that. For me, like cider and fall, I like Applejack, which is crazy. I know it also comes from apples, very similar to Calvados. You know, those kinds of types of spirits that are apple-based are just more interesting to me than cider. Um, but I, I, he- I hear you're bringing someone on that's going to hopefully convince me otherwise. Yeah, well, we'll be joined in a in a few minutes by uh, by a special guest who uh, she's a little more passionate about cider than than I am. I, I consider myself kind of cider agnostic. Like every now and then, I like it, and I think there's some excellent stuff out there. Some really well made ciders that are maybe not sweet, that are dry or or you know very near to dry that I find enjoyable, and that that this time of year I find myself turning to. But there, it's never been a beverage where I'm like, man, you know, I I got to got to get my cider cellar built because um i think my wife would kill me for one but uh <laughs> i also i also just it's never it's never gripped my imagination as much as i thought it would although i will say that there are there are people out there doing things that are really interesting with cider and and i'll be curious to talk to our guests to see kind of if there's stuff out there that you and i just aren't haven't been turned on to that we might find more interesting because i, I think with cider and, and and for me the thing i learned when i was you know, kind of getting a little bit uh, more interested in it was that, you know, you kind of have two kinds of cider. You have your cider that's essentially treated by the producer like beer. And it's uh, the apples are the the base ingredient, but the it may or may not be uh, the center point of the beer or of the cider, I should say. They might be adding flavoring agents. They might be hopping it, things like that. Um, and that's fine. And, and for a lot of people, you know, this, as you pointed out, the, the rise of cider has a lot to do with the rise of the gluten-free movement. And for a lot of people, cider became a replacement for the beer that they can no longer drink um, or no longer wanted to drink. And that's great. I mean, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. It's not doesn't appeal to me. And then there's a very small subset of cider that's made with sort of wine as its inspiration in some way. And those, I, unsurprisingly, do gravitate towards a little bit. And from time to time, they make for a nice sort of alternative to wine, which as hard as it is to believe, I do occasionally want. I don't know. I just, for me, I think I'm sure there's people that are doing cool stuff with cider. I'm sure I'm going to hear about it in a few minutes. Uh, But I think the issue for me with cider is that it's just, it's another one of these beverages that sort of like, I like to call a peripheral beverage. So um, it's, it's a lot like mead uh, as well. It's these beverages that everyone's like, Oh my God, it's going to happen. 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 It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's I just I don't think it's ever going to become that huge of a of a thing. I mean, maybe I'll be wrong and like, you know, um, you know, my great 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 grandchildren are only going to be drinking cider, but I just I think that 
you know, for the most part, probably because of all the ways that it's being used. Um, as you're saying, I think that that is a lot of a, is a turnoff to a lot of people. I think, you know, some people don't really want to drink super fruity ciders or super sweet ciders. They don't know that, you know, there's ciders that come from Spain and France that can be really dry and much more, you know, sparkling wine-esque, if you will. Um, and, you know, for me, when I do think of those flavors uh, that, that make really high quality dry cider, I would rather have wine. Um, so, I mean, again, I, I, I'm very curious to, to, you know, have this conversation and really learn what makes cider interesting. Um, I get that it's also probably really big right now because of the whole farm to table movement. We're all into like the orchard and stuff and apple picking. Um, I'm going this weekend. Uh, but you know, I don't think that it's something for me that like just has this, I don't know, romanticism or something that I crave in the same way. But again, like I even have a lot of employees that agree with me. So disagree with me. So we'll see. All right. Well, we'll be back with that conversation. Welcome back. We're joined now by Aaron James. She's the editor in chief of SIP Publishing and the author of the 2017 book, Tasting Cider. Aaron, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. So let's start with um, a preface, which is that you weren't here when Adam and I were discussing cider, but I would think it's fair to consider both of us, let's say, cider skeptics. Um, And I think for both of us, a little bit of the skepticism comes from um, a disconnect between what we would talk about as the high end of cider and the big bulk cider world. So I'm curious in your perspective as someone who is who is more connected to that world than either of us. What do you see as going on with with sort of large scale cider production that might be of interest or a, a, that is perhaps worth uh, exploring? I think uh, best way to answer that would be to look at how large scale cider producers are now producing smaller scale, small batch items, hmm. um, and I think a lot of that is being done to battle the sugar bomb stigma of mass marketed ciders and even the ones that are mass marketed or sorry the ones that are high um, sugar content of the mass marketed segment um, are now being offered in drier versions as well Um, but like a perfect example is angry orchard they've launched their walden series which is their um, uh, series from the orchard in walden new york I'm sure you've seen commercials with Ryan Burke, their head cider maker. Uh, he makes mostly just makes the stuff from Walden. He he doesn't he oversees all the recipes, but he doesn't actually do the production in Cincinnati for all the six packs. So uh, what he really puts his hands on is the stuff that's coming from their actual estate orchard and that they're doing in I don't know 200 case releases. So kind of cool stuff like that. I think that big producers like them and like. Um, Vermont Cider Company, who makes Woodchuck, they've also launched smaller brands to kind of meet the, I don't know, handcrafted artisanal appeal that there hasn't really been a backlash on. I mean, people still, 60% of cider being consumed is still Angry Orchard. So, uh, and the the six packs, not their specialty stuff too. So I think it's not, hasn't been a backlash, but I think they're wanting to hit on this smaller market being like, Hey, we do cool small batch stuff too. So I think that's something that we'll start to see more and more of too. So Aaron, it's Adam. Thanks for joining us. Um, picking up on sort of a con- the conversation Zach and I were having before you joined, and I'm curious about, given the the stat you just threw out for Angry Orchard, would you say the 60% or, or the growth of cider on, in, on the mass side 
is that being driven by people's real interest in cider, or do you see that as sort of the other hypothesis that I have, which is it's being driven by this uh, the gluten free movement? So people who are looking for an alternative uh, to beer and things like that. Um, two two to four years ago, yes, I would agree with you. Um, but like any kind of burgeoning craft. Uh, industry, people come to it because they're looking for something else anyway. So I think that with this, the modern craft cider drinker is drinking cider because they like it. Um, I think that there are so many gluten-free alternatives out there. And um, again, the stat that I threw out was from Nielsen. And so is this fact that um, the larger marketed, sweeter ciders had or were impacted by like hard root beer and hard seltzer, uh, whereas uh, regional, local craft ciders were not. So I think that kind of helps answer that question because those, the sweet ciders that maybe people were introduced to because they were looking for gluten-free saw a decline in sales because of other gluten-free options. So um, at the end of the day, if someone's a regional uh, craft cider drinker, they're going to keep drinking it because they like it. So setting us. So then, did, oh, go ahead, Adam. Oh, sorry, I just wanted to quickly. So does that mean it, because the gluten-free, you know, ciders? I mean, sorry, the, the the new products that have come into the market have sort of hurt the that part of the market. Do you, have you seen did has cider sales decreased at all with new competition, or are they still increasing even though gluten-free beverages are coming in, like the you know hard seltzers and things like that? So they're kind of broken into two different segments as far as how Nielsen defines it, which is largely defined by. Um, off-premise grocery store sales, Um, but they're defined as kind of the mass market versus local regional. Um, And local regional has not seen any impact from that, at least from 2017 Nielsen data. Um, And then it continues to grow with um, quarter one, I think was the last time. I don't think I've seen Q2 numbers, Um, but it continues to, it continues to grow. Whereas, um, there was a hit for kind of mass marketed, but they've just kind of balanced out still. Cool. So let's say um, setting aside maybe two obvious ways to tell the difference, meaning possibly sweetness, or I'm sorry, not sweetness, um, cost and maybe a brand name. Um, what is the way that someone can sort of tell the difference between what we have talked about as these sort of mass marketed ciders and something that is artisanal? Because the thing that I've definitely heard from people before is that cider can be really confusing because you're not really sure where the flavor is coming from. Um, You know, there are ciders out there that are uh, made and maybe made in small batches, not necessarily large scale production, but where, where the flavor such as it is, is more coming from whatever's added to the cider and not the apples themselves. And then I think we would generally talk about craft cider being more where the flavor and complexity is coming from, from the apples. So, so what are, what are the things that people could be looking for as sort of um, ways to denote those one, those ciders that are, um, you know, small-scale production, maybe working with um, more interesting fruit uh, as opposed to a large batch cider? Um, it's kind of a couple ways to answer that. I think the United States Association of Cider Makers this last year launched a language or, like, definitions, um, I don't know, guidelines for definitions of cider styles. Um So, like, hopped is a style, and heritage is a style, and modern is a style. Um, Those are things that you won't usually see on a label. Like, no one canning in 16-ounce cans is going to put modern cider on it. 
Um, but th- those are labels that they're kind of trying to push, at least in descriptions of ciders. Um, again, this is super new, so it's nothing that's really being enforced or um, you're seeing all too much. But it's kind of just starting the conversation with literally providing language. So um, the the industry didn't really kick off until 2011. So it's still so it's really, really still coming to its own. Like if you think of craft beer in the 90s, I mean, craft beer has been hot since the 90s, but didn't really become popular probably until like the last 10 years or so, at least on a mass consumer level. So we got a long way to go with cider. But a uh, shorthand answer to that would be um, read the labels like like you would anything. I mean, it's going to be in English. It's easier than reading a French wine label. So go read the labels. Um, look for usually if something's packaged other than in a six pack, which not to say that you can't find regional craft cider in a six pack um you you read the labels like a lot of times when the apples matter to the producer they're going to put them on the label or they're going to say it came from their orchard or it came from an orchard nearby or other keywords would be like fresh pressed apples which doesn't mean that they they can buy fresh pressed juice from treetop in yakima but they uh, nothing against that but it does mean that it is fresh juice as opposed to concentrate um that's another thing to look for um not that concentrate's bad but it's not likely going to be produced with love and care in a craft environment um but uh, so that's another thing to look for on the label uh, with cider. You also have to put every single ingredient you use on the label. So right. it'll say ingredients listed, blah, blah, blah. A lot of times people list yeast. Um, don't worry about that. But uh, if it says apples and yeast, then that's probably going to be a pretty fruit-focused, apple-focused cider. So a lot of times those heritage ciders, um, and that usually means just kind of more apple-focused, variety-focused cider, um, made from an orchard that they picked it from. Um, those ones are going to be in like 750s, 750 milliliter bottles or 500 milliliter bottles. But also seeing some pretty incredible ciders in four packs of 12-ounce cans too. So um, that's been a good advancement. That's the top seller. Again, some more Mad Nielsen stats for you. <laughs> um, and 2017 was uh, four packs of cider in cans. So don't uh, be discouraged by packaging. Just Just read. Use your eyeballs. And brain. So, in in terms of you know cider in general, for someone like me who uh, you know before you joined the show, I sort of admit to Zach, I, I have not embraced cider. It hasn't been like my my go to beverage. How dare like, you? Where would I start? What, like, what should I? Because tr- every time I've had cider, even when it has been, uh, you know, some of the heritage producers here in New York State, um, you know, to me they're always a little too sweet. Um, they just, I, I don't know what I'm expecting from cider, to be honest with you. Um, but sometimes they just taste a very, very apple juicy to me. Although when I have had a few from Spain, um, they've been very dry. So like, are, are there, like what, sh- if I wanted to get into cider now, what should I start with? How should I go about it to try to really understand cider and, and try to figure out what I'm missing out on? So I actually get asked this asked this often um my number one recommendation for all the beverage that we cover and people are like how do you know how to talk about beverage or how do you know beverage i'm like drink it figure out what you like taste a lot of it um you're in an awesome location new york cider is thriving right now um and the state association is doing everything in its power to really push um the heritage or um 
orchard-based producers forward, which is really cool. So you're able to find a lot more complex ciders in your area because there's so many people that are creating cider with apples meant for cider. Um, so, I mean, I'd belly up at a bar, find a place with a great cider selection, taste through what they have available. Um, I think that, I mean, it's cider bars are actually, fair, you've got quite a few in the state of New York, um, but that's always a good place to go and just taste through. So what do you mean when you say cider, I mean, apples meant for cider? There are specific varieties of apples that are not good to eat. They are uh, called spitters. Um, they are sharp, bitter sharp, bittersweet. Um, they hurt your mouth. They're extremely tannic. They have high acid or um, and then also a good amount of sugar. Uh, they are actual cider apple varieties, so varieties cultivated for the purpose of cider. Um, major origins would be uh, the U.K. and France and as well as Spain for those. Um, so we're seeing a lot of English cider apple varieties, mostly bittersweets and bitter sharps, um, and that's a U.K. classification um, that, that most people go by. Um, and then sweets, sweets and sharps are the other um, of the the other two of the four apple variety. So I can't like make cider with Honeycrisp. You can, <laughs> but I like honey. you totally can, and a lot of people do. Um, there's culinary apples, grocery apples, dessert apples. Those are all the same thing. That's what a Honeycrisp would be, would be. I love uh-huh. I love eating Honeycrisp. Those are in season here in Washington State right now. They're massive and fantastic. Um, and you can definitely make a cider from that. A lot of times when you see ciders that have something else, like a, we call it an adjunct, um, that's like a hop or blueberries or, I don't know, cacao nibs. Like those are, those are adjuncts added to cider that usually have a base from those kind of culinary apples. Uh, you certainly can make cider from them. Um, and then there's kind of in between ciders that are, or apples that are called mixed use apples, um, that produce a more complex cider without having to add anything like hops or cacao nibs into it. Um, like Newtown Pippin, um, a New York or origin kind of apple. Um, and then what else is another, uh, Ida Red, I think is a big one in, um, Michigan, same as Northern Spy. Like they're, they're good pie apples, but they also make decent base for cider, uh, cause they have really good acid. Um, but you're not going to usually find tannin in eating apples, um, which is why cider apples make a more complex cider like a wine would with, because they have, um, acid and tannin. Super interesting. Cool. Can you explain to me the thing that I've started to see out there now, which is rosé cider, and what mm-hmm. the hell is that? So there's, like, there's a couple different ways that it can be done, and there isn't, like, a, I mean, there's no drop-down definition of cider in America. Like, it's so frustrating. Um, or legal definition. Those are those are things, in most states, it's still a winery license to make cider alone. But, um, so we're, we're still, it's an uphill battle here, but... There's a couple different ways to make rosé cider. You could do it with um, fruit that would cause the pink color, like blueberries or strawberries or something like that. Um, you could use wine grapes. People have done that. Um, or juice or skins. Um, and then there's the kind of more quote-unquote traditional, because this is still relatively new phenomenon, but um, using red-fleshed or red-skinned or deeply red-skinned apples. So, um there's red flesh ones are kind of the most traditional route to take because it the color comes simply from the apple itself. Um, they're beautiful. You can usually get mountain rose is a good example. 
um, at Metropolitan Market for Zach this time of year. <laughs> um, they're so good. They're just beautifully tart, nicely and sweet, and they have this incredible, like, splotched pink flesh. Um, and then uh, with the skin option, um, you can usually get that from crab apples because they have super thick skin and that um, really pigmented skin, and that'll bleed off into the juice. So so those are made the way we would think of a rosé wine being made as yeah. opposed to with the addition of something that colors the yeah. cider. Yeah, okay. and there's, I mean, even on a large scale, not to bring them up for the umpteenth time, but Angry Orchard's rosé that they put out this summer, it also had hibiscus in it, but mm-hmm. the base was red-fleshed apples concentrate from Normandy. So, and that's like, Wolfer is one of the big ones we see yes. here, the rosé. I still don't know. They just released a red cider, and I don't understand why or, why or how it's red or why or how it's different than their uh, rosé. Because their rosé, the color comes from their wine grapes. So, But the packaging is gorgeous. Wow. Yeah, it's very cool. They have money. So then w- w- what are some like really quintessential food pairings with cider? Um, everything. Um, <laughs> you can't say everything. That's yeah, a cop-out. Huh? Um, cider, I honestly think cider, I think a more complex style cider can pair with everything. I really do. One that offers fruit, tannin, those are, that's the trifecta, the holy trinity of cider is, is fruit or sweetness, tannin and acid. And that makes a completely balanced cider. Um, you won't usually find that style in anything other than in the heritage orchard based styles, but I think that a good barrel aged cider can stand up to steak off the grill. Uh, pork's an easy out that's always a wonderful pairing with apples period um i don't know there's champagne uh method ciders out there that also pair fantastically with potato chips and popcorn just like champagne would or that may or may not have been what aaron was doing before we recorded this podcast (laughs) i would be slurring more (laughs) i'm like is it warm in here i don't believe you i've seen you (laughs) i'm trained professional um yeah I i for me um I really like, I mean, this is such an, another easy out, but cider and cheese, that is is such a natural pairing. But I also like cheese. I'll tell my husband this all the time. Cheese is my number one love in life, then my dog, then him. So I just I want him to know where he stands. But it's uh, cheese is so good, and it's incredible with cider because it has that, especially, well, actually all cheese has that kind of creamy fattiness. So the acid in cider really, really lifts it up. Very cool. I can keep talking about food. <laughs> That's good. Anyway, I think I think, I think it might be dinner time for all of us. Um, so I know, seriously, one really one really quick question, Aaron, before you go. Um, as far as um, buying cider, um, you know, not so much in a bar um, or in a restaurant, but as far as buying it in a in a shop, are do you do you recommend? Because I think one of the hard things for people is, you know, you can say go to a wine shop if you're interested in um, in wine. Uh, but you know, cider kind of can fall into this middle ground, and especially some of these heritage ones we've talked about, you might be more likely to find those at a at a bottle shop than you would at a at a wine shop. But do you feel like uh, people should, you know, do you feel like there's more you're more likely more likely to get a great cider from someone who's more passionate about wine or about beer, or do you need to just seek out someone who's really into cider? I think that you're probably more likely to find a great cider at a restaurant or bar more so than a bottle shop. Um, just as far as having a more dynamic selection that way. Um, but you might find more variety at a bottle shop. Um, I mean, you know, gro- grocery stores are, grocery store selection are growing and growing, is growing and growing. Um, and you're seeing so many more options available uh, for cider. And so, I mean, I went, I've been in a Safeway before that had a cider sign section on the uh, top of the aisles. And I was like, oh, we made it. 
But there's so many things that are changing in the industry. Pallets are changing. Ciders being more widely distributed. People are seeing, like buyers and um, grocery store stewards are seeing it so much more. Um, but I think that a beer, a, a good quality, diverse beer bottle shop will have a good cider selection. Um, probably, yes, moreover, a wine shop. Cool. Well, Aaron, cool. thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And yeah. uh, we'll think of you this fall as we maybe crack open a cider. I don't know. Adam, what do you think? Yeah, I'll give it another try. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, Thanks, guys. I can tell you from experience, that's the best you can hope for. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Talk to you next week. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to Vine Pair. We'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to drop us a line at podcast at vinepair.com. And if you really love the show, we'd love if you rate it and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and ratings really help other people discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is recorded in New York City at VinePair headquarters and in Seattle, Washington at Cloud Studios. Our engineer is Nick Patry, and the show is produced by Zach Jewell and me. Our show logo was designed by Daniel Grimberg. Special thanks as well to the entire VinePair staff, including but not limited to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and our editor-in-chief, Emily Saladino. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week.